chapter twelve of dr quintard chaplain c s a and second bishop of tennessee by charles todd quintard this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twelve personal narrative franklin the battle of franklin was fought on the thirtieth of november eighteen sixty four and was one of the bloodiest of the war on that dismal november day our line of battle was formed at four o'clock in the afternoon and marched directly down through an open field toward the outer breastworks of the enemy a sheet of fire was pouring into the very faces of our men the command was forward forward men never on earth did men fight against greater odds but they advanced towards the breastworks on and on and met death without flinching the roar of battle was kept up until after midnight and then gradually died away as the enemy abandoned their interior line of defences and rapidly retreated to nashville we had about twenty-three thousand men engaged they fought with great gallantry drove the enemy from their outer line of temporary works into their interior line captured several stands of colours and about one thousand prisoners but our losses were about four thousand five hundred brave men and among them major-general pat cleborne brigadier-general john adams brigadier-general o f strahl brigadier-general gist brigadier-general granbury and brigadier-general john c carter was mortally wounded among the wounded were major-general john c brown brigadier-generals manigault quarles cockrell scott and george gordon general john adams on reaching the vicinity of franklin had immediately formed his line of battle near the residence of colonel john mcgavock and led his troops into the fight a more gallant set of officers and men never faced a foe general adams was calm cool and self-possessed and vigilantly watched and directed the movements of his men and led them on for victory or for death he was severely wounded early in the action and was urged to leave the field he calmly replied no i will not i will see my men through and at the same time gave an order to captain thomas gibson his aide-de-camp and brigade inspector when he fell he was in the act of leaping his horse old charlie over the outer works both horse and his rider were instantly killed the general falling within our lines while old charlie lay astride the works the general received two wounds in the right leg four balls entered his body one ball passed through his breast and one entered his right shoulder-blade these wounds were all received simultaneously and his death was instantaneous major-general cleburne's mare was dead on the works and the general himself was pierced with no less than forty-nine bullets the bodies of these two brave generals were brought from the battlefield in an ambulance and taken to the residence of colonel mcgavock whose house and grounds were literally filled with the confederate dead and wounded mrs mcgavock rendered every assistance possible and her name deserves to be handed down to future generations as that of a woman of lofty principle exalted character and untiring devotion captain gibson general adams aide and brigade inspector although badly wounded accompanied by captain blackwell conveyed the body of his commander to the residence of the general's brother major nathan adams in pulaski i officiated at the funeral and his mortal remains were placed in the cemetery by the side of those of his father and mother as a soldier general adams was active calm and self-possessed 
brave without rashness quick to perceive and ever ready to seize the favourable moment he enjoyed the confidence of his superiors and the love and respect of his soldiers and officers in camp and on the march he looked closely to the comfort of his soldiers and often shared his horse on long marches with his sick and broken-down men he was a member of the episcopal church and a sincere and humble christian for a year or more before his death he engaged morning noon and night in devotional exercises he invariably fasted on friday and other days of abstinence appointed by the book of common prayer he was guided in all his actions by a thoughtful and strict regard for truth right and duty in all the relations of life he was upright just and pure there is no shadow on his memory and he left to his children the heritage of an unblemished name and to coming generations the sublime heroism of a southern soldier after the battle general strahl's horse lay by the roadside and the general by his side both dead all his staff were killed general strahl was a native of ohio but he had come to tennessee in his youth and was as thoroughly identified with the latter state as any of her sons he gave to the fourth tennessee regiment its drill and discipline and made it a noted regiment before he succeeded general a p stuart in command of a brigade he was just recovering from a dangerous wound received at atlanta the previous july when he entered upon the tennessee campaign which ended for him fatally general gist of south carolina was lying dead with his sword still grasped in his hand and reaching across the fatal breastworks general granbury of texas and his horse were seen on the top of the breastworks horse and rider dead i went back to columbia hired a negro to make some plain coffins helped him to put them into a wagon drove with him about sixteen miles and buried these brave men strahl gist and granbury under the shadow of the ivy-mantled tower of st john's church ashwood with the services of the church then i returned to the field major-general john c brown general george gordon and general carter were seriously wounded the last named mortally after ministering to these and many another i returned to columbia to the hospital in the columbia institute here i found captain william flournoy and adjutant mckinney of the first tennessee regiment both severely wounded there were hundreds of wounded in the institute i buried major-general cleborne from the residence of mrs william pope a military escort was furnished by captain long and every token of respect was shown to the memory of the glorious dead after the funeral i rode out to hamilton place with general lucius polk there i found general manigold wounded in the head and major prince of mobile wounded in the foot returning to columbia i met captain stapleton and through him paid the burial expenses of my dear friend john marsh three hundred dollars the dear fellow had given me a farewell kiss as he entered the battle i also gave the rev dr pease one hundred dollars and left myself without funds while in columbia i sent wagons down to the webster settlement to procure supplies for our wounded at franklin having visited the sick and wounded in the hospitals at columbia i went with captain stapleton towards franklin i reached the house of mr harrison about three miles from franklin at dark and stopped to see my friends general carter general quarles captain tom henry and captain matt pilcher captain pilcher was shot in the side 
captain henry was wounded slightly in the head both were doing well general quarles had his left arm shattered general carter was shot through the body and his wound was mortal i knelt by the side of the wounded and commended them to god i had prayers with the family before retiring all that night we could hear the guns around nashville very distinctly but all i could learn in the morning was that our lines were within a mile and a half of the city the following day was the second sunday in advent december fourth i rode to franklin to see dr buist the post-surgeon all along the way were abundant marks of the terrific battle dead horses and burnt wagons but at the line of the breastworks near mr carter's house where the heaviest fighting was done there was a great number of horses piled almost one upon another mr carter's son was shot within a few yards of his home returning to mr harrison's house with dr buist who went down to attend to the wounded i visited them all and had prayers with them the doctor and myself returned to franklin in the evening and william clauston called and took me to his house for the night there i found general cockrell of missouri wounded in the legs and in the right arm but full of life and very cheerful lieutenant anderson one of his staff who had lost a part of one foot at vicksburg was now wounded in the other captain john m hickey in command of a company in a missouri regiment while charging the main lines of the works just in front of the cotton gin was desperately wounded his leg being shattered he fell into the mud and while in this deplorable condition his left arm was badly broken by a minnie ball and soon afterwards he was shot in the shoulder with thousands of dead and wounded lying around him he lay upon the field of battle for fifteen hours without food water or shelter in the freezing cold and half of that time exposed to the plunging shot and shell of both friend and foe i devoted my time while in franklin to visiting the hospitals in one room of brown's division hospital in the courthouse i dressed a goodly number of wounds after which i went to visit general cockrell and thence to army headquarters at the residence of john overton i met with a most cordial welcome not only from general hood but also from mr overton's family and several ladies from nashville on wednesday i rode with governor harris to franklin and thence to mr harrison's to be with general john c carter who was nearing his end i found general quarles and captain pilcher both doing well major dunlap was also improving lieutenant colonel jones of the twenty fourth south carolina however was not doing so well having had a profuse hemorrhage on visiting general carter i read a short passage of holy scripture and had prayers with him for which he thanked me in the most earnest manner in his lucid moments my conversation with him was exceedingly interesting but his paroxysms of pain were frequent and intense and he craved for chloroform and it was freely administered to him he could not be convinced that he was going to die but i said general if you should die what do you wish me to say to your wife tell her he replied that i have always loved her devotedly and regret leaving her more than i can express i had prayers with all the wounded and with the family of mr harrison and sat up with general carter until half-past twelve o'clock lieutenant colonel jones died some time in the night 
general carter died the following saturday i wrote to the rev dr pease at columbia to attend his funeral as his body was to be taken there for temporary burial it was bitterly cold and the roads were very slippery general carter was a native of georgia but a citizen of tennessee he had been advanced for merit from a lieutenant at the beginning of the war to the command of a brigade he had a wonderful gentleness of manner coupled with dauntless courage every field officer of his brigade but one was killed wounded or captured on the enemy's works at the dreadful battle of franklin the following sunday third sunday in advent i celebrated the holy communion at army headquarters that night general forrest shared my bed with me one of the men remarked it was the lion and the lamb lying down together the following day in the methodist church at brentwood i united in the holy bonds of matrimony major william clare and miss mary hadley of nashville the major's attendants were dr ford medical director and major moore chief commissary a large number of officers were present after the marriage the party returned to the residence of mr overton where a sumptuous dinner was provided my empty purse was replenished by a fee of two hundred dollars besides which a friend sent me the following morning fifty dollars in greenbacks i left headquarters the following day in dr ford's ambulance for franklin and on the way picked up a couple of wounded men and carried them to the hospital we met governor harris and colonel ray secretary of state i spent the evening at mrs carter's with my friends colonel rice and captain tom henry the next day i made efforts to purchase shoes for my family the merchants had hidden their goods and were unwilling to dispose of them for confederate money but by offering to pay in greenbacks i not only secured shoes but all sorts of goods meeting captain kelly of the rock city guard then off duty in consequence of wounds received in the recent battle i proposed to him to go to georgia for clothing for the soldiers to this he agreed and we left for columbia while there i attended a meeting of the ladies the object of which was to organize a relief association distressing reports began to come in of a reverse to our arms at nashville at first i did not credit them but later i met colonel harvey the inspector general who not only confirmed the very worst of the reports but expressed both indignation and disgust at the conduct of our troops general lucius polk sent a buggy for me and i drove out to hamilton place and spent the night the next day fourth sunday in advent i celebrated the holy communion in the parlor at hamilton place and after administering to the company assembled there carried the consecrated elements to the rooms of general manigault and major prince that they might also receive the comfortable sacrament in the afternoon i drove back to columbia and assisted the rev dr pease at the marriage of miss hoggs to major william e moore chief commissary of the army after this i rode to the residence of mr vaught where i found general hood and his staff i was glad to find the general bearing up well under the disaster to our arms it was now a very serious question whether general hood should hold the line of duck river even if it were possible for him to do so or fall back across the tennessee one officer remarked to the general in my presence that while god was on our side so manifestly that no man could question it it was still very apparent that our people had not yet passed through all their sufferings the general replied that the remark was a just one 
he had been impressed with the fact at spring hill where the enemy was completely within our grasp and notwithstanding all his efforts to strike a decisive blow he had failed and now again at nashville after the day's fighting was well-nigh over when all had gone successfully until the evening our troops had broken in confusion and fled early the following morning general forrest reached headquarters and advised strongly that general hood withdraw without delay south of the tennessee if we are unable to hold the state we should at once evacuate it were the words of general forrest at nine o'clock in the morning cannonading began at rutherford hill after a couple of hours word came from general chetham that he had repulsed the enemy and the firing ceased general hood finally decided to fall back south of the tennessee and governor harris in whose judgment i had great confidence thought it the best we could do still it was a dark day to me and the thought of leaving the state of tennessee once more greatly depressed me tuesday the twentieth of december was a day of gloominess i felt in bidding farewell to columbia that i was parting with my dearest and most cherished hopes i recalled the days of our march into tennessee so full of delightful intercourse with straw and marsh and other friends after saying good-bye i rode on to pulaski thirty miles where i was cordially received at the home of mrs ballantyne the next day i baptized six persons there and later at the headquarters of general hood in the residence of the hon thomas jones four of mr jones children after this baptism mr jones joined us at prayers in general hood's room the general said i am afraid that i have been more wicked since i began this retreat than for a long time past i had so set my heart upon success had prayed so earnestly for it had such a firm trust that i should succeed that my heart has been very rebellious but he added let us go out of tennessee singing hymns of praise the weather was exceeding inclement so many of our poor boys were barefooted that there was very great suffering the citizens of pulaski did all they could to provide shoes i dined on wednesday with governor harris at major nathan adams and spent the night with colonel rice the general informed me the next day that the enemy effected a crossing of duck river at columbia at noon and began shelling the town but forrest told them by flag that if the shelling were not stopped he would put their wounded directly under the fire the firing consequently ceased our forces all moved on towards bainbridge general hood left the following morning i joined governor harris as he was not to be detained en route we rode thirty miles to a little town called lexington where colonel rice captain ballantyne and myself obtained rough accommodation for the night the next day we started for lamb's ferry thinking to find a boat there but learned that general roddy had ordered it to elk river to cross his command i therefore had another journey of eighteen miles to make just at the close of the day i found my friend major-general clayton camped by the roadside and not knowing general hood's location i decided to accept general clayton's very cordial invitation to spend the night with him it was christmas eve after supper the general called up all his staff and couriers and we had prayers the next day christmas day and sunday was very sad and gloomy 
i had prayers at general clayton's headquarters after which i rode down to the river and watched the work of putting down the pontoons some one brought me a christmas gift of two five-dollar gold pieces from mrs thomas jones of pulaski the following day i crossed the river at nine o'clock on crossing the river on our forward march i had sung jubilate now i was chanting de profundis i joined general hood at tuscumbia on the twenty seventh and found the general feeling the disaster more since he reached tuscumbia than at any time since the retreat began and after various adventures i reached aberdeen on saturday the last day of eighteen sixty four though an entire stranger in aberdeen i received a most cordial welcome at the home of mr needham whitfield whose family were church people and thus ended the year eighteen sixty four chapter twelve